0: It's that time of year where a candle burning in your house makes it feel so cozy. Pretty Little Light Candle Co. is here to provide you with all your candle needs. They pour each and every candle by hand in-house in small batches. They use 100% soy harvested by hardworking hands of farmers from right here in the Midwest. The integrity of their candles is very important to them. They use the safest, most eco-friendly, clean-burning fragrance oils around. Their fragrances are phthalate-free and contain no parabens or other toxins. Their fragrances are also Midwest source, so you're supporting other small family businesses. You can go to PrettyLittleLightCandleCo.com and use code BOOMCLAP to save 20% on your order. Welcome to the Boom Clap podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about our loss. Um, those of you who have been here for a while know um, that in September 2021, we lost our 20-week-old son. And so it's just me here recording today, always difficult recording by yourself just for the simple fact that you're not discussing with anyone, you have no one else to fill that space. It's just you talking um, alone for an extended period of time. And um, today that's just a little bit harder even because I've been kind of mulling over why that is obviously it's harder because of the topic, but I think also just because if you've ever lost a child, um, however that may be, I think that there's just this weight that goes along with anything you do for them. You want to be done exactly perfect. Um, because it's the only thing you really can do for them. You can't just, you know, fix it or do something else. Um, this, This is the thing you're doing for them, you know, because they're not around to do things with anymore. So, um, or ever at all, if you lost them before they were born. So anyway, I'm going to get into things. The main reason I wanted to share, I have wanted to talk about this for quite some time, but I'm just now getting to it because, um, well, I want to share because I'm almost positive. We're without a doubt, basically sure what happened and it's something that's said to be very rare, and I do believe it is, but I think it's probably less rare than um, people think because doctors don't know about it. They just don't know. In our case, they didn't know. We had to find all the information, and I think that um, I just want to create an awareness around what happens so that other women that this possibly is happening to, um, they know, and it doesn't happen to them. Uh, there needs to be an awareness in the medical field as well. Um, But also just to talk about loss in general, because it's so much more common than you know, like once it happens to you, all these people start coming out of the woodwork, uh, telling you their experiences. And so I know, unfortunately, many of you listening will relate, um, or at least know someone who's been through a loss um, like ours. And uh, maybe you'll hear something that allows you to be more helpful to them in their situation. So anyway, I've wanted to share for a while, like I said, but as you all know, I was pregnant again. We had our little boy April 1st um, and (gasps) he's now six months old. And leading up to that, like through the pregnancy, I so many times just want to come on here and tell you all about what happened. But at the same time, if you've ever lost again, you know, how challenging that, um, next pregnancy can be. And I felt the whole time, like I was holding my breath. And if I came on and told you about what happened past tense, that somehow I was, you know, putting a crack in the ice, um, or something, you know, like where something could happen to this pregnancy and just little things like, I'm finally finalizing the gravestone for our son that we lost. And, it's taken so long because one, I couldn't find anything that I really loved. And I still don't really like love it just because I'm kind of a classical style person and nothing that is out now looks old, if that makes sense. So that's part of it. But the other um, reason is I, during pregnancy, again, I just didn't feel like I had the capacity to do that because I felt like I was, if I was finalizing that it made the loss final and it meant that I didn't believe anything could happen during that pregnancy. And it's just, it's this whole mind game that you play. And that being said, God was very faithful, um, in pulling us through and keeping me mostly, um, without anxiety through the pregnancy. So thankful for that. So I'm going to try to move through this in, a <laughs> somewhat of a manner that you are able to follow, but I might jump around a little bit and go from, you know, things about loss to just things about why we lost our son. Um, but hopefully you can follow along. Um, so we found out Memorial Day of 2021 that we were pregnant and yes, it, we tried, we, this was not a surprise, um, but, um, it was a surprise at the same time because it had been several years. It had been, uh, what? seven years, eight years at the time um, since the last time we had a baby. And so I was like, maybe it won't be so easy this time, but it was. And we were pregnant and we were really excited. I remember finding out and just going and sitting down on the couch and being like, oh my gosh, I am actually pregnant and I'm going to have another baby. And I was so excited, but like, holy cow, like just what the heck, you know, kind of like all these thoughts swirling and we were going to my husband's cousin's house to celebrate her 40th birthday and watch the Indy 500. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to tell Levi till we get home. Um, because I don't want him to think about it today. I just want him to kind of enjoy his day. And then we'll come home like when we're together, instead of like rushing, telling him like right before we leave to go somewhere, we can enjoy, um, the moment together. And also I got to hold that little secret with me all day, which was just, I don't know. So special. Um, but anyway, the pregnancy progressed. We had a 11 week appointment with the NP that we'd saw through our other pregnancies. Um, I saw a doctor in P combo. My doctor had um, moved on to a different hospital who I actually really, really liked my doctor um, for my first two pregnancies. She was amazing. Um, really not a pushy gal, kind of went along with the things that I was comfortable with. And then um, anyway, we had this 11 week appointment, heard the heartbeat. I had told her that I was having trouble voiding, um, or peeing, I guess I should say peeing. I'm a nurse. So like those, you know, I get those nurse words out there sometimes and be like voiding. Um, anyway, I was having trouble peeing, which I had been from like nine weeks on. And I had had that happen with my second pregnancy once. Like I had woke up one morning and this is with our daughter and with our second daughter. I was like, I just couldn't pee. I had to pee so bad I felt like my bladder was gonna explode and I could not pee. And I remember thinking, I'm going to rupture my bladder. And something about like just, I don't know if it was just knowing how anatomy works, or something about me instinctually just got on all fours and tried to reposition. It's like something's gotta be obstructing my urethra. So I ended up getting on all fours, getting, you know, after a few minutes, everything fixed and I could go to the bathroom, no problem. And I never had that after that at all. And I remember at the time telling the NP, um, or I think I actually, she's a PA rather. I told her what happened and she's like, okay, well, if it happens again, come in and we'll put a catheter in. So this pregnancy with our son that we lost at 11 weeks, I was having this problem, but it was like all the time, but it wasn't as bad. It was just like, I kind of, liken it to an old man with a prostate issue. Like you can go, it's really hard. You never feel like you're fully emptying your bladder. You just kind of always have to go and it's like little bits and you're straining. And so I was telling her about that and she's like, oh, that's weird. I just had another gal in here with the same thing. And she was saying like, I knew I had a retroverted uterus. Um, That's something I've known. And if you look up information about that, and this is another reason I want everybody to know because retroverted uterus, that's a normal abnormality for lack of better words. Like 25% of women, um, according to Cleveland Clinic, I believe, 25% of women have a retroverted uterus. And essentially that is where um, your uterus is flopped kind of back into your, instead of being like, how it's supposed to sit, it's flipped backwards a little bit. Um, so in other, we called it like my uterus was lazy. Like we joked about my uterus is lazy. And so anyways, she was like, oh, you know, this again. And she ended up doing an examination. And during that, she kind of was she was pushing and trying to pull my uterus forward and push on my cervix back down because my cervix was, if you think about it, when this happens, your um, uterus like is pushed backwards and your cervix is um, pushing forwards and it's pushing on your urethra and your uterus is kind of pushing on your bowels, so it can become hard to void either way, BM or urinate. And I know this is maybe kind of gross, so. I hope that it's not grossing you guys out, but this is what was happening. And, um, she was trying to fix that. And she was talking to me at the same time. So I wasn't paying attention a whole lot, but mainly she was just like, if this keeps happening and you really can't go, and it's a major issue, come in and we'll put a catheter. And so when we left, I was talking to one of my friends on the phone and I was telling her about the retroverted uterus. And my husband was like, no, she used another word. She used a, another word for it. And I'm like, "Ah, eh, okay. We were trying to think of what it was. And I couldn't pay attention when she was pushing on me very well. so. Um, I was like, either way, it is what it is. It might be another word for the same thing. He's like, yeah, no big deal. I ended up researching a lot though at the time because I was like, this just doesn't seem right. It seems like there could potentially be a complication. I had asked her, no, no problem. No complications just uh, other than voiding. And so I researched quite a bit and never found anything with pregnancy. I found all kinds of information about people questioning whether you could get pregnant as easy, which we had no trouble there. Um, and online it basically said sometimes there could be more trouble, but usually it doesn't cause problems with getting pregnant. So that was all I could really find. Um, then we had our 15 week appointment. They were like, are you still having trouble going to the bathroom? And I was like, it's resolving a little, but I mean, it's kind of still there I don't know if I was just getting used to it at that point or if it was actually getting better, but it didn't seem quite as um, prominent. But I will say, like, this is how bad it was. Like, I remember going to my now sister in law's um, wedding um, bridal shower. <laughs> what is that called? Bridal shower. Traveling there for, it was a couple hour drive. And by the time I got out, I had to go to the bathroom so bad and I could barely go. Like, it just, I was almost in tears. And, this is what was happening. Anyway, 15 week appointment. Um, they had asked that and they're like, well, you're 15 weeks. So you're, you know, past the point where miscarriage is a big risk, you know? And I don't know why they said that to me. I've never had an appointment where that was said to me before, but for some reason that day after they said it, I remember specifically where we were at on the interstate, just thinking about that and clinging so much to Those words. Um, Even though I'd never experienced a loss before, for some reason this time I just clung to that. And then um, we had our ultrasound. That was our next appointment, our ultrasound. And I remember the Thursday, the ultrasound was on a Friday. The Thursday before, I was teaching PE at my daughter's school. was a volunteer PE teacher. And I just remember looking at my belly and being like, it just doesn't feel as big as it was. It doesn't feel the same. Something is different. Um, and it just was different. And I hadn't been pregnant for so long. I couldn't remember exactly. I remember when I felt the girls move, it was around 17, 18 weeks but it was like really small and intermittent and my body had changed a little bit. So I didn't think a lot of not feeling a lot of movement. Although I do remember with this with our son, I felt him move at 17 weeks. I remember right where I was standing. I remember feeling the flip and being like, oh my gosh, you know? But um, I, I didn't think a lot of that. I do know though that Thursday, I was like, my belly feels a little softer. It feels a little smaller. It just feels a little different. And then that Friday we had our ultrasound and I sat there in the waiting room with my husband. And at first, like leading up to the ultrasound, I was very concerned because this was during COVID. Um, This was when they weren't letting people in. I had heard of friends just getting ultrasounds right before that and that them not letting their husbands come. And so I had called ahead of time. I was like, can my husband come? They're like, yeah, we started letting husbands come again. And looking back, I am so thankful because you know, we, we got the worst news. I asked Levi when we were walking in and they called us back. Like I just had my, my heart sank when they called us back to the ultrasound. Um, Moms know, you know, moms just know. Um, Even though we don't know, it's the weirdest thing. I don't even know how to describe this to you. Like I knew, but I didn't know. And I asked Levi, I said, are you nervous? And he said, no, are you? And I was like, yeah. And we walked back and you know, they put the jelly on you and Levi and I are talking about, you know, she's like, is this your last one? Or, you know, I'm looking at Levi joking. He's like, yeah, this is going to be our last one. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm just like so excited. And we're chit-chatting about how excited we are and making sure she knows that we don't want to know what we're having. And um, this is our first ultrasound. We don't do the early ones. And um, (laughs) she puts the no wand on and obviously she knows right away and I just kind of wasn't paying attention and like not even a minute went by it was a few seconds and all of a sudden I was like the baby's not moving like why isn't it moving and she just looks at me and says I'm sorry there's no heartbeat and like oh I'm like reliving this now I didn't think I'd be upset to talk about this on here but just like reliving it now and it was so hard but like, I just instantly, and I'm not that emotional of a person. I know that I have on this podcast said multiple times, like, I've got to lump in my throat. I'm going to cry. You know, and I think I even said that on our last episode, but my emotions have increased substantially since the loss. It just, it's changed me quite a bit. Um, but anyway, she said she was going to go get the doctor. So she ended up going to get the doctor. We sat in another waiting room filled with moms with huge pregnant bellies me holding a Kleenex, knowing my baby was dead. And that was, oh, it's the worst. Anyway, we met with our doctor and she encouraged me. She said, you know, we can handle this a couple different ways. You can go home and wait. But at the time, the baby was measuring small. So this is what we knew at the time. The baby was measuring really small. It was only measuring 16 weeks and we were... Um, almost 20, we were 19 and a half. So she was like, you know, the baby's been dead for four weeks essentially. But in my heart, I was like, that doesn't seem right. Cause I felt him move at like 17 weeks. I don't feel like he's been gone that long. And I only have felt different for a few days. And so I just, that didn't feel right to me, but essentially she gave us our options of, you know, going home and waiting, um, coming in and getting, um, you know, Mr. Prolol, I think is how you pronounce it, which will help you deliver the baby or like cause you to deliver the baby um, or having a basically where they take the baby out of you. Um, <clears throat> and she didn't recommend that. She said, I don't recommend that for anyone over 18 weeks. Um, but if that's what you want, we can do that. But she's like, also for closure, like you need to see your baby. And so I did appreciate that very much about her. Um, We did end up going home and waiting because they didn't have room for me at the time and going back in and delivering him um, the night of the 20th. And he was born in the morning early on uh, September 21st. And I can't tell you, like, it's so weird going in to deliver a baby when you know they're not alive, Um, especially when you've been in the same situation before with your um, previous live, healthy, bouncing babies. Um, I went in and like, I had this heartache, but at the same time you have this memory of leaving the hospital with this beautiful baby. And so like your mind is just like flip-flopping because you ha- at least for me anyway, I had this like excited feeling underlying all the sadness that I kept having to remind myself, like, there's nothing to be excited about. You're not taking a baby home, and I don't. I have no idea, like, if that even makes sense. But that's how I was feeling. And I remember walking in, there was a like one of the CNAs or texts. She was just like, "You look so sad. Can I hug you?" And she gave me a huge hug. Um, a little backstory to th- what was going on in my life right now at this point. I had worked in the cardiovascular ICU at this hospital for 15 years and I had just been told I was no longer welcome there and I was on indefinite unpaid leave at this point because of the COVID vaccine scenario. That's a whole nother story if you wanna hear about that. But so that was going on at this time. Like I was on indefinite unpaid leave and I knew some of the people working there. I did not know this tech, but the nurses that helped me, OB nurses traditionally, I'm sorry if you're an OB nurse, but traditionally are not really great at starting IVs. <laughs> and they were like, we just can't get this IV started. Can we call the stat nurse? But I knew her and they're like, are you okay with her coming? I'm like, yes, you know, she can come. And so there were some people, some faces I knew, one of my coworker friends, one of my very best friends, and um, she, came up from the unit she was working that night and so came up and saw us. And so there was some comfort there outside of the staff, but the staff at the hospital in general, including the doctor were amazing um, to me. They were so great. Um, Anyway, I ended up delivering him and they immediately take him, you know, to examine under the little, just like look at him. And I was like, is it a boy? And the weirdest thing I had not known the whole time what I was having Um, but as soon as we found out we lost our baby, um, I knew it was a boy. And I had asked the ultrasound tech after I got over the initial shock and she was getting ready for us to exit the room. Like, can you check and see if it's a boy or girl? Because I don't know. And at that point I didn't know what was going to happen with delivery because we hadn't talked to the doctor and I was nervous that I was never going to know if it was a boy or girl. That kind of mattered to me to have some closure just to know and, um, she looked and she was like, I'm sorry, the baby's so clamped down right now, I can't tell. And so, um, anyways, I was like, Is it a boy after we delivered? And, um, they're like, I don't know, like, let, let's let see. And then uh, it was, it was a little boy. And, um, I'm gonna wrap this part up. I don't wanna keep going on about it, but, um, the other thing that I'm so grateful for is after, um, we gave the funeral home because you have to bury or cremate a baby after 20 weeks. It's Illinois law. And I didn't want to cremate him. I wanted to bury him. And so they said, we'll take, they put him in a little box and they said they would take him and they would call the funeral home. I was like, I don't want you to take him. Can't the funeral home come up? Because what I was familiar with is a process um, in the hospital as an ICU nurse, is if the funeral home was available, they came directly to the unit and got the um, patient and took them instead of taking them to the morgue. And I just having been down there, I just like couldn't do that. Um, couldn't part with him. And thankfully, um, the funeral home director, like we know them, um, very nice people. And he ended up coming. So there were so many people, um, that really just did such nice things for us. Um, little things like when you're in a situation like that really make a huge difference. Um, One other thing I want to touch on that's not exactly along with this, but abortion, that's been a huge topic. And it was a huge topic immediately after our loss and the spontaneous versus elective. That's huge. People um, were trying to tell women like us that we had abortions and we're the same as someone who electively chose to terminate their pregnancy and it's not the same. So if you're seeing those things online and you've had a loss, know that it's not the same, even though, yes, your paperwork will say spontaneous abortion. Those two words that go before the word abortion, spontaneous or elective, that's major. That is major because those mean two absolutely different things. So anyway, we ended up burying our son a week later and, that part is history, but, um, not history. It's not, I mean, I think about it all the time. Not sure why I said that probably because I'm recording by myself and trying to move on to the next, um, area of this. But after six weeks, I had my appointment and, um, I asked the nurse practitioner or the PA, I said, you know, could this have had anything to do with my retroverted uterus? And she says, no, it could, it, I even discussed this with the doctor. She said, we both agree. It could not have anything to do, could not have had anything to do with your incarcerated uterus. And immediately I just, my heart sank. I had that feeling in the pit of my stomach and I'm like, what? Like, I didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say, but I'm like incarcerated. I'm like as an ICU nurse, like, incarcerated, if I hear that word, that means medical emergency. That means lack of blood flow. That means something is trapped and it's an emergency. Like incarcerated hernia is a big deal. So I don't know, th- this is where my mind, I was like, I need to go home and research that. And I knew this is the word Levi had been looking for that she said, but he, you know. couldn't remember exactly what she said. I didn't hear. And so I went home, looked it up, and basically incarcerated uterus is when the fundus of the uterus becomes wedged under the sacral promontory. And so if you can imagine like there's this bone that's sticking out a little bit, your uterus is tilted back and it's starting to grow and it's starting to push up and need to flip forward, but it can't because this bone is sticking out a little bit and it's just wedged there. And as it becomes bigger, your cervix is pushing harder and harder on the urethra and it's just kind of trapped. And so you'll have things like constipation, you'll have trouble urinating, those are the signs that tell you something is wrong. Um, And essentially, it's a medical emergency, like I said. Um, So let me read to you. I'm going to put in the show notes some links to some articles, but let me read to you what I was finding on the internet when I started researching this. It says it it is a rare, um, incarcerated of the gravid uterus is a rare and potentially devastating complication of pregnancy, if not promptly recognized and treated. Basically, it says uterine retroversion is normal, um, but by 12 to 16 weeks, your uterus should push forward and come out of there. One thing I do want to back up and say, the nurse, the grievance um, coordinator nurse, she sees all the ultrasounds for the babies and she sees all the babies afterwards. She took pictures and things of our son for us and with us and She was so great, but she said, um, Your baby, she's like, There's no way that you've been carrying this baby for four weeks, deceased. Like, there's no way. She said, It looks like he died very recently. So, that also flagged in my mind when I asked the question. And so, I'm here putting all these pieces together. The signs and symptoms I had fit with incarcerated uterus. I have retroverted uterus already. Our baby only grew to about 16 weeks size, but I was pregnant until about 19 weeks. And basically what happens, um, with the, um, with the baby, when you have an incarcerated uterus is it can cause a, um, situation where there's growth restriction. One of the papers I looked up explained that in the second and third trimesters, um, intrauterine fetal death, uterine ischemia, intrauterine growth retardation, premature labor and delivery, um, and renal failure, um, sepsis even, have been reported um, along with uterine incarceration. Um, In the first trimester, it's mostly the urinary retention and things. So the main thing is it's a medical emergency. If this happens, if you're having uterine retention, And 25% of women have a retroverted uterus. So this can happen. Um, It needs to be treated immediately. And so they kind of just dismiss me. And I want to say this too. I am not upset at anyone who took care of me. They didn't know. That's okay. The thing that I was really frustrated about is afterwards, they knew that, that I had an issue but they both agreed it couldn't have been a problem without really researching anything. They just agreed it couldn't have been a problem. And then what further frustrated me is after I found all this information, after all the pieces fit together, I sent them notification on the MyChart thing and kind of talked through what I was thinking because I knew that I wanted to have an, like try again, have another baby. Um, Levi and I had been talking about that. And it's like, if you don't want to try again, if you, um, haven't addressed the issue, right? You want to make sure it doesn't happen again. And that also, we can talk about genetic testing and stuff a little bit. We didn't do that. The doctor that took care of us in the hospital was so kind. Um, I even talked to him about my age. I'm like, I know I'm an old mom. And he looked at my age again. He's like, oh, you're not that old. He's like, I'm the son of an old mom. And he made me feel so much better about that. Talk to me about the risks, um, And gosh, I just keep thinking of stuff. Another thing I want to say is this, God prepares you for these situations. Um, When I had my second daughter and went to my six-week follow-up, I asked my doctor at the time, um, and I have no idea why I asked her this, but I just said, how old would you tell me is too old to have a baby? And I'm not someone to ask permission for things like that. So I really don't know why I asked this question of her. I don't know what prompted me, but I just asked her. And she sat down with me and she said, Rita, she's like, I'm not going to tell you any age is too old to have a baby. She said, I will tell you that there's a certain level of risk that goes up when you get to certain ages. She's like there's risk for genetic problems, risk for miscarriage that goes up. She goes the risk is not that great. It's not as big as they would have it, you know, they would have it sound or seem. Um but she goes it, it what she said it's small. That's what she said. The risk is small. Um but it does go up a bit. But she said it does not feel small when it happens to you. And Uh, Those words have been echoing since, but she said um, that she was 45 when she had her last baby and it was the best thing that ever happened to her. And through that, um, it just kind of stuck with me over the years. (laughs) Cecily and I have been telling you about God's World News, which is a magazine and print resource from World Watch News. We love World Watch News. You guys know that. We've talked about it quite often. My kids actually ask to watch more than one episode at a time. They will love to sit down and just, you know, kind of binge, for lack of a better word, these episodes because it's not like the news on TV where it's repeat of the same story over and over. You're getting stories from all over the world that I don't even hear in the news as an adult. I I really enjoy watching these with my kids. So these print magazines are a version of that the kids can actually hold in their hand. They cover relevant topics and school subjects and help them grow into godly discerning adults. As you flip through the pages of fresh news stories, it paints a picture and can show kids who created the world and who is in control. These materials are created for each age and stage, and there's three options depending on your child's age. You can go to the link in the show notes and click it to find these great print magazines. Anyways, that just really stood out to me, and especially after our loss, but getting back to the doctor in the hospital and... Um, him talking about age, genetic testing, those kind of things. He was so kind to spend a lot of time going over that with us. And we opted not to do any of the genetic testing, um, simply because after hearing about what we could, like what information we could gain from that, really, I had peace with the loss almost immediately. Um, and I, that sounds weird because I wasn't, I was obviously very sad about it, but I was at, Peace with it in some way, and I didn't really have this burning desire to find out why, unless it was something I needed to know for a future pregnancy. Because almost immediately, it was in my head that I wasn't um, done; that we should try again. And that also sounds very weird, but just the things that happen in your mind after something like that—it, it—you can't control it. It just is what it is, but anyway, there was basically the conversation was any information we find, usually they don't find anything for one and any information they find wouldn't necessarily have bearing on a future pregnancy. And that being the case, we didn't do any of that, but hindsight is always twenty twenty. And when I think about the sequence of events um, that happened, all the information we had, then we knew what Probably happened. I said at the time, you know, we don't know with 100% certainty. We'll never know with 100% certainty, but very, very likely the incarcerated uterus was the cause. When you go through all of the things, I had trouble urinating, which is the cardinal symptom. I already had a retroverted uterus, which we knew um, prior to pregnancy Um, and prior to any of my pregnancies. I had had the issue with my daughter before and she was born and everything was fine so I kind of had had um uh dismissed my concerns because of that um that prior you know successful birth of a healthy baby um and when I researched retroverted uterus and then this incarceration stuff came up but anyway um the trouble urinating the known retroverted uterus the um fact that after the fact we found out my baby, you know, did stop growing at around 16 weeks. I know I felt him move at 17 weeks, according to the ultrasounds. And after viewing him at birth, he had not been gone for very long. And then I didn't mention this earlier, but, um, the Saturday before our ultrasound, um, it's weird. Like I said, there are just moments that you just know. And I know that, um, Looking back, like I said, hindsight's 2020. Um, we were at our town festival, um, our town like parade day, and we were standing there talking to my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. And I just was all of a sudden like, I I need to sit down. Like I feel like I'm gonna pass out. Um, I just don't feel right. And it passed very quickly. It was just a couple minute thing. My sister-in-law gave me a ginger ale. I was like, okay, I feel better. But that was the Saturday before, and I just know looking back, that's when like he passed away. Just know that. Um, and I don't know, like also going through this, like the questions pop in your mind, did it, did he hurt? Um, did he feel any, you know, did he, I don't know. You just think of all of these things afterwards. And I know like I've had friends who've lost babies and things and you feel for them and but nobody can describe like what is going what will go through your mind until you've been through it. You just, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it um, other than it's so hard to explain until you've been through it. Um, but anyway, everything pointed to incarcerated uterus. And the thing is, these the doctor and PA basically, like I said, not upset with them for not knowing on the front end. Um, I just wanted them to learn from it. The fact that they didn't on the back end, think about it was a bit frustrating. But then when I brought it to their attention, like emailing them, Hey, this is what I found. And if we want to get pregnant again, I just want to make sure that we know what we're doing. We know what we're getting into. We have a plan. I was dismissed. They're like, it couldn't have been incarcerated uterus. And that's what frustrated me was the unwillingness to really listen, think about it, and learn from it. Um, And then it led me to realize, like, really no one knows about this. I ended up messaging some uh, chiropractors to see if there was any kind of maneuvers to try to help, like, positioning beforehand um, or during the early stages of pregnancy. Not expecting them to know, really, but really there wasn't much that they could do. Um, I messaged a very well-known natural doctor, Um, to ask if they knew much about it and they kind of said it's very rare if it happened once it won't happen again or it's very unlikely that would happen again which just shows even in the natural realm how close-minded sometimes people can be because this is an anatomical issue so if it happened once it is more likely to happen again because it's an anatomical issue and so in the medical, this is getting into medical stuff now, but in the medical field, we need to be able to, one, follow the path of least resistance. In my case, that was incarcerated uterus. Don't look for other problems that aren't there until you've at least followed through that path of least resistance to see if it's a possibility that that could have been the problem. The other thing is we need to think through things, not just say like, that's, because you hear something's rare, it's rare and won't happen again. Think through why it happened. Think through how it happened. Think through um, whether this is a fluke or if there's like some kind of underlying thing that makes it happen because those things need to be put together. Those pieces need to be put together before you tell somebody it can't happen again or likely wouldn't happen again to them. So this time going into pregnancy, um, fast forward to summer 2022, um, found out I was pregnant again. Lots of emotions through that. Um, I think I've talked through that before a little bit, but basically I took pregnancy test, left it there for my husband to find because I couldn't even get the words out. Um, very excited, but also immediately like, did I do my due diligence on figuring out what we were going to do this time around? Because um, basically there was, it was me figuring things out for myself. And like my husband said, <clears throat> this morning when we were talking about it. and um, he's like, you're paying these people, you know, to see you and give you medical advice. And basically they're just dismissing you and you're doing a hundred percent of the research. And honestly, that is the way medicine works a lot of the time, unfortunately, regardless of the reason, um, you're being seen. But anyway, I did end up calling the providers I had seen before. And then I was, um, weighing the option of going to this birth center. And so I, we toured the birth center. In the meantime, I'm calling the providers I had seen to try to gather a plan. Oh my gosh. You know, 20 minute hold time dealing with calling back and forth between a nurse. Eventually the plan that was forwarded to me was, we'll get you in for a pregnancy test to make sure you're actually pregnant. Uh, do a sonogram if you're agreeable. And then, um, will do a 16-week appointment in person, not virtual, because they were doing all these virtual appointments. And I didn't even do virtual appointments with the time before because I said, I'm not paying you. I was so frustrated with that. It was like the COVID thing. Everybody had the excuse to do everything over the computer instead of actually see people. Um, So I'm like, I'm not paying you for a video chat. I will either come see you or not do appointments. So they ended up seeing me for all of them with the prior pregnancy that... Um, the baby we lost, but this one, they said, you know, we'll see you for 16 weeks. But the thing is my baby had stopped growing at 16 weeks the time before. So they were just like not even focused on the problem, you know, and, and what happened last time, preventing what happened last time. They weren't focused on that. They were just like going through motions. And their plan was if you um, can't urinate, we'll place a Foley catheter. So relieving me from my symptom. But the symptom was a problem that needed to be fixed to help my baby. And so I'm just like, I can't see these people for this pregnancy. I'm not mad at them, but they're clearly not willing to learn, not looking into this. Um, so I did end up going with a birth center. And I will tell you my first visit with a first midwife, she had researched she had read everything that I had read, um, not because I sent it to her, but because she did her own research. Um, she ended up giving me, I was doing all these positioning things um, on my own, but she ended up giving me one more position that I could be doing to help myself flip my uterus forward. And I'll put these in the blog so that you guys um, can look at them and pass this on to anybody who it may be a concern for. But basically every night and every morning, I was putting my knees on my bed and then putting my, um, hands on the floor head down so that like I was inverted essentially and could tip everything forward. I was doing cat cow position and just different things to kind of get things forward. I was making sure that I was never sleeping on my back. Um, and that's something for some reason every time i've been pregnant i want to sleep on my back for the first trimester it's the weirdest thing i never sleep on my back but when i'm pregnant i want to do that and um so this time like never sleeping on my back i was sleeping on my side slightly tilted forward so that everything stayed forward and that was the plan the plan then if my uterus did not come forward on its own would be a manual reduction sometime around 14 weeks when my uterus is big enough that if they did manually reduce it, meaning going and pushing it forward and pulling my cervix back to try to get everything forward, um, that my uterus would be big enough then that it would stay that way and not flop back into the position. Because if you do it too early, it's just going to flop back um, but if you do it too late, you've got that growth restriction. So the 14 week period was kind of the sweet spot for that. Um, I want to get into the natural community just a little bit here because this was really hard for me. I never had early ultrasounds with my kids, never did any of the genetic testing, um, early on, none of that because I wasn't going to terminate the pregnancy based on anything I found. Um, it, it I don't want to say it didn't matter to me cause it matters, but, um, it, it was not going to change the course of my pregnancy. So we just skipped all of that. Um, I don't believe in doing a lot of ultrasounds. It's just not who I am. But um, for me this time around, I did do some ultrasounds. We ended up having, I believe, four ultrasounds um, and all of them 20 weeks or before. And I hated doing it, but at the same time, I wanted to know where my uterus was and we could have done it mostly symptoms based. But this is the thing, guys, like when you have a loss like that, you want to make sure, especially if you know what the issue is, you want to make sure you're preventing it. And so we did one early on to make sure the uterus was in fact back and it was it was flopped over like a rainbow. And then we did another one. Um, my symptoms had resolved. Then we did another one and it looked to be okay. And then I ended up going to uh, maternal fetal medicine at a hospital that they recommended for me to go to just to make sure that they weren't missing anything. Um, This doctor, I will (laughs) mention, he was so kind to talk to me through a lot of stuff, just make sure um, we were on the same page. But the one thing he kept, um, two things he kept Mentioning because of my age, he really wanted me to have Down syndrome uh, screening. He's like, I didn't see anything. I don't see anything concerning, but I really need you to do that because, you know, what if, you know, you need to be able to prepare? And I'm like, that's not something I want to do, that I don't want to do Down syndrome testing. And the other thing he wanted me to do that he said he makes all of his um, older age moms do is an EKG to make sure their heart is healthy enough to have babies. And this just shows like how little some people in medicine know about medicine. And I'm like, I didn't have the heart to tell him. Then EKG will tell you nothing about whether a mother's heart is healthy enough to have a baby or not. It'll tell you if she's had a prior heart attack, um, possibly <laughs> it'll tell you if she's currently having a heart attack, um, but it'll tell you her heart rhythm, but it's not going to tell you whether her heart's strong enough to have a baby um, or whether there's a potential for a heart attack. So it's just really interesting stuff. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we did do those ultrasounds. And that was one thing at the time, like all this flare up across social media in the natural world was don't do ultrasounds. There was all this hubbub in the natural community about not doing ultrasounds with your baby. And so I'm sitting there watching that and I'm like, I wish that I could do that, but I wish that I could just quote, trust my body. That was a big, that's is a big phrase within the natural communities, trusting your body through pregnancy. And it's hard to trust your body when you feel like your body has failed you. And I, I guess I could look at that two ways. My body did somewhat fail me, but at the same time, it was warning me. I just wasn't, I was listening to the warning signals, but I'd been dismissed by the doctors and I had dismissed myself because I had had a prior healthy pregnancy. So sometimes your advocacy is only as good as your information. You know, you can advocate for yourself, but if you don't have all the information, you can only advocate so hard. So anyway, we ended up doing all those maneuvers. By 14 weeks, my uterus came forward on its own. I did not have to have the manual reduction and went on to have a healthy happy baby boy that is now six months old. And it's amazing. And it's just like my first son quite literally paved the way for this baby boy we have. He gave us, you know, the knowledge we needed to have to have a healthy pregnancy. And one thing you hear a lot, if you've had a loss prior to you know, having a healthy baby is they're called rainbow babies a lot. And that's something I haven't really subscribed to. I think I have talked about that also before here, but I don't know. There's something about that phrase that I feel like puts a pressure on this child that he's taken the place of someone else or something. And I just haven't subscribed to that. But I will say that before we had him, people kind of still recognize that loss. Like they'd recognize the loss of our baby, but now it's sort of like we have this baby and it seems almost as it's viewed as a replacement. But I will say like these babies that come after loss are not replacing that loss. Um, for me, it just feels like a fresh joy, um, that we've been given, but there's still heartache underlying that won't go away. Um, I do want to not forget to mention um, how God worked through all this and um, how I remember specifically one day, like I remember feeling this many, many times, but I remember specifically one day thinking like, I am so glad that we had that baby boy, even knowing that we lost him. I am so glad we had him. And I would take that heartache over again. Um, simply for the fact of how it drew my husband and I together, I feel like it drew me closer to the Lord. I know that sometimes people feel like it's harder to see God in your time of need, that when you're struggling, you feel far from God. Um, But for me, it's always felt the opposite. When I'm struggling, I feel the closest. And sometimes it's easy to forget in those good times. And that's one prayer I have prayed um, since our loss is not forgetting that hardship and heartache because that's where I feel closest to the Lord. And I don't want to forget how much I need God. Um, One thing, I know I have shared this on my social media before, and I do want to share it here, but before we lost our son, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday. I had been reading in Romans and I got a new Bible maybe a year before that. So a lot of places weren't underlined or, you know, no markings in the Bible. And I was reading and um, I had been underlining everything in yellow for some reason. So everything was underlined in yellow. And that day I felt like, I don't know why, I just pulled out a blue marker <clears throat> and underlined um, Romans 5. Three, but all, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And I underline that in this other color and it's messy and sloppy. And I hated it at the time. I was like, oh, I I, I I have a hard time underlining because I never want it to be messy. And anyways, I underline that. And just felt like I was going to need it. I felt like I was really going to need that. And that following Friday is when we found out that our son no longer had a heartbeat. And then during this pregnancy with our now, you know, healthy six month old baby boy, um, I had opened to read that again. I think it was around the time of, or maybe slightly before um, our. Coming date of one year since delivery of the son we lost. And I open up and I see right above that Romans 4, 20 and 21 is underlined. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise. He was fully convinced that what God promised he was also able to do. And I had prayed so much before we had gotten pregnant with our son that we have now, that God, please just take this desire off, like take this desire away from me to have another child, or please give me a healthy child that I will get to hold and get to raise and get to be a parent of. And throughout that this pregnancy, I just kept going back to that prayer that I prayed and the fact that I had underlined this in yellow before I knew any of this was going to happen, I didn't realize after I went back to Romans 5 so many times after our loss and read that so many times, I never looked up. I never looked up the page to notice what I had underlined until a year later when I needed it. And it's just, I don't know that in in itself, it just totally hits me still to this day. So, all right, before we wrap it up, I do want to just talk about a few things to do with loss, um, because I think most of the time people don't know what to say. So they either say too much (laughs) or not enough, um, or completely ignore it and, um, Yeah. So I do want to preface this with, I was not mad at anyone for anything they said. Like at no time did I ever feel upset at anyone for anything they said, because I've been in the position so many times not knowing what to say. But I had somebody actually tell me that it was probably easier since I already had kids. And for us, like that, that was one thing that actually made it harder because we saw our two little girls that we had before us, and we're like, "What? What would he have been like?" You know, we know how uniquely individual each of our children are. Um, I had so many women tell me their own stories. I had a lot of people tell me how I was going to feel that I would eventually feel angry. That's something I never felt. So it was sort of I don't know that actually is one thing that annoyed me a little bit is people telling me how I was going to feel, um, but one thing that I will say, peace and grief coexist within the church community. I think sometimes people will be like, oh, eventually you'll be at peace with this, and it comes off as if in order to be at peace, you're done grieving. But that's not the case. No matter what it is, you can be completely at peace. You can be completely reliant on God and still have this severe heartache that is just there and you can't get rid of and you can't shake. Um, Those two things can work in you (laughs) at the exact same time um, take people meals. Supper was the hardest thing for me. Um, making supper. I would just sit there and cry. I don't know why. I think it's because you're doing something for your family and you feel like your whole family isn't there because it's not. Um, supper was really hard. So somebody's going through this, take them a meal, um, listen, let them talk about their baby. Because when you have a baby, um, Everybody comes over and sees your baby and talks to you about your baby and talks to you about the birth story. But when you lose a baby, a lot of people don't want to hear about that because it's hard. And maybe it's not that they don't want to hear about it, but um, it might just be because they don't know what to say and they don't know if you want to talk about it. But most moms do want to talk about it, I found. So... Um, just ask him, like, do you want to tell me about it? And I guarantee a lot of them will. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's so much more that I want to say, um, but <laughs> this is probably enough. I I hope I haven't overstayed my welcome telling you this story, um, but I just wanted to make sure that I could tell you about this issue that I had that doctors don't seem to know about. um, Give you some information and insight into that. Give you some information and insight into loss. um, And for those of you that have experienced it as well, uh, I'm sorry. Um, It's so unfortunate. It's hard. Um, It sticks with you. Um, Like I said, we can't replace these babies we've lost, but we... Do know that we will see them again? So, thank you for listening. If you want to find us outside the podcast, you can find us at Boom Clap Podcast on Instagram. You can find us at the Boom Clap You can find me, Rita, at Rita or Rita Rogers Co. on Instagram. And you can find Cecily at Cecily.Dickie on Instagram or the